really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, results, great interviews, and just so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can all over the globe. I support my New England Free Jacks, my USA Eagles, and I'm a fan of Scotland, of Connacht in the URC, the Highlanders in Super Rugby, and most recently of Waikato in the NPC. So this is going to be a little different this time. So what can you expect from this podcast? Well, you can expect us to be here 52 weeks a year, that's for certain. That's regardless of how much rugby is actually being played. Uh, and this week sees a return to a more sort of normal rugby schedule, with the Premiership and the URC being the only competitions on my list. So for those of you who've been with us for some time now, you can also count on my changing things around when I see a way to get better, make the pod better. So for instance, traditionally, this is where I list the whole agenda, and then I proceed to dive into the agenda, but... Most of you know what I'm going to talk about anyway, so why say it twice? So from now on, we'll just be sort of jumping right in in hopes of, of tightening things up a bit. We, we've, been, uh, we've been running a little long recently. That's what she said. That's my joke. Damn it, Dwight. So if you would like to get in touch, by all means, please do. I can always be found on Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email at thescrumoftheearth at gmail.com. So get in touch whenever and however you like. So with all that out of the way, let's dive right in. What a great weekend. So for current updates this week, I'm going to skip anything that's sort of, you know, going on with me personally. And instead, I'm going to do something new, which is uh, for just lack of a better place to talk about this. I wanted to take a minute to self-review my predictions for this past Autumn Nation series. So back on October 24th, I posted episode 14, which included my, quote, bold predictions, unquote, for the overall, uh, overall outcomes for each nation involved with the Autumn Tests. So in the end, I did, I guess, a, a fair job. I predicted seven total outcomes accurately. <clears throat> Those were Argentina, France, Georgia, Italy, Japan, Tonga, and Uruguay. However, I was off on the sort of higher-ranked teams generally. Um, I got the totals wrong for England, who I saw losing to the box, as they should have. Uh, Ireland, who I said would lose to New Zealand, so obviously I also got the New Zealand total wrong. Um, South Africa went 2-1 rather than the 3-0 I had predicted. And I underestimated both Scotland and Wales. Though, I gotta say, I think Scotland were maybe better than their results, and uh, maybe Wales are sort of the opposite. Anyway, I'm happy to say none of my predictions were off by more than one single game. Uh, not a not a big deal, and my final outcome was only seven and six. So technically, I came out ahead. You know, not too bad. But anyway, I stole the idea of doing these sort of pre predictions uh, from my pal Blaze over at BKR Sport in Australia, and I plan to do the same thing for Six Nations, and then maybe take some time to see how those went after the fact. It's always so easy on a podcast to, to predict things, and then five weeks go by, and nobody remembers what you predicted. And uh, I'm too lazy to go check. So uh, th this is a good way to sort of see how I'm doing, I guess. Uh, with that, we are going to keep moving on. He's too good! He's too good! People have to know! That's right, Isa. It is too good. So South African Rugby and South African Rugby Director of Rugby. I, I still I copied this from the website I was looking at, looking at it on. And uh, it literally says Rugby Director of Rugby, Rassi Erasmus. Is that a title or what? 
Anyway, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that's wrong, but that's what it said. Anyway, they have together advised the Independent Misconduct Committee and World Rugby that they have both withdrawn their notices of appeal to the misconduct decision and sanctions issued by the Independent Disciplinary Committee on the 17th of November this year. So in effect, this means Rassi is banned from all rugby-related activities for two months and banned from match day activities for the next 10. But my impression, though, is, okay, and I, I don't know this for certain, but it seems to me they realized, A, they have absolutely no basis for an appeal, so what are you doing? Uh, the, the, the facts were just plain for anyone to see. Uh, B, appealing a just decision often results in a heftier penalty and or bigger fines. And C, the legal costs would only continue to mount with World Rugby likely to insist that their own fees are covered by the resulting fine. And let's face it, D, the autumn tests are over and he doesn't actually need to be coaching for the next couple of months, so it doesn't really affect him. Uh, I feel like the initial appeal was in itself another cynical move for this very reason. <clears throat> I have a feeling World Rugby are closing the book on this one permanently. I, I, I do have to say, after the damning report issued this past week, I've, I've really altered my opinion of this guy. Uh, I still have no doubt his players are perhaps even more on his side after this, but uh, my little, oh, he's just staying within the rules. No, um, you don't you don't threaten people like that. I, I used to compare him to Belichick. Uh, I don't think Belichick's ever left threatening messages for a ref, and then and I doubt he would have know his way around a video to do anything like that. Uh, not comparable anymore to me. So for my thoughts of the week, now I'm not getting up on a soapbox or anything, but I, I have to say I was greatly pleased to see the tentative news that the Exeter Chiefs have seemingly noticed the increasingly large writing on the wall, and it seems like they're going to be dropping their Native American-styled branding. So it's not final. Uh, frankly, the owner seems to be cut from the same cloth as Dan Snyder in D.C. here, uh, and he appears dead set on being the very last person holding on to this particular straw. But what cheered me was they apparently polled their actual members, their, you know, their biggest, best, most consistent supporters, you know, think me with the Free Jacks. And that was when they learned that an overwhelming majority thought it was time or past time for a change. I'm pretty sure they're keeping the Chiefs moniker, which doesn't really bother me. If they manage to get the headdresses and the obnoxious tomahawk chop crap out of there, you know, guys, it's 2021. We all need to recognize the difference between intent and impact. Um, if it goes the way it looks, I'm not above saying good on you for this change, late though it may be. And for whatever it's worth, you know, I've half-jokingly speculated here over the last few weeks that their obstinance was at least partially responsible for the bad karma that seemed to surround them more and more as they continued to lose games that they certainly would have won last year. If that little crackpot theory has any basis in reality at all, uh, the day they change the branding will be the rest. Uh, will be the day the rest of the prem need to start to worry. So that brings us to our reviews from the weekend, and we start, of course, with the premiership. Uh, there were four matchups on Friday the twenty-sixth, and they included Bath hosting Exeter. And, you know, Bath started this game really well. They grabbed the first points. Uh, after the first quarter, they were holding on to that lead. It was 10-3 to in their favor. Incredible defense by Bath on the day, but it was not to last. Uh, a few minutes into the second half, and the Chiefs get a blood-soaked try in the corner. And after the conversion, they go up to 10-13, to with Bath answering only minutes later with a tying penalty kick. The score remained knotted at 13 for quite some time. Then the lead changed hands several times before... With just five minutes to go, Simmons smashes one down over for the visitors. Bath find themselves trailing with only a minute or two left, and then giving up another penalty. The end has come for their hopes. Exeter take the points and the victory, crushing the dreams of the beleaguered Bath fans. 16-23 to in the end, 
Whoa, is Bath this season? I don't even know what to say about them at this stage except ouch. Next, we had the Bristol Bears, and they were at home to welcome Northampton. Great crowd on hand this evening, by the way, and Bristol really seemed to sort of draw on that energy. They scored their first try with only uh, within only a few minutes, which you will all seem to, uh, will soon see became a real trend this weekend. It was really something else. So they were still clutching at a small lead at halftime, but with only two minutes into the second half, Bristol get it back level, with Northampton taking a three-point lead around the 55-minute mark. Neither side really showing any dominance here. Very back and forth. Uh, Saints b began to gain momentum heading into the third quarter, and Agent Furbank, as I call him, scores a sweet try to make it 20-33, to and things are slipping away for the home side big time. Their, cloud, uh, their, cloud, their crowd, you can clearly tell, is sensing it as well. All the volume's gone out of the place. Taking advantage of a Bristol Bears card, Lewis Ludlam scores their fifth try of the day, but it was called back, so uh, you know, not really adding insult to injury there. I couldn't really parse out what was wrong. I, I never could really figure out what the ref's problem was. But in the end, the score ended up being 20-36. to 36. Game over. Thank you for playing tough days for Bears fans these days. So next on my list was, of course, the Newcastle home game to face Worcester Warriors. So where I watch these games is on the so-called Peacock streaming service. And for some reason, this game just disappeared from the list. Uh, I have since then learned it was rescheduled due to the massive storm that gripped the UK this weekend. But uh, last time I checked, it wasn't even available still. So uh, who knows, maybe that'll be a little midweek gift for me to check it out. Although I do know the result was a, I think it was 24-all draw. So yeah, you know what? Note to self, not going to be bothering to watch that one. Anyway, next was Wasps. They were also at home to face Gloucester. And Wasps, you know, despite lots of individual talent, they just can't seem to find any cohesiveness as a team. They they never looked threatening to a surprisingly strong visiting Gloucester team. So it was 19-35, to 35, pretty late on. Johnny May continuing his cerebral flatulence from the last weekend, getting himself sin-binned to create a speck of hope for the home side. Umaga takes him up on it, scoring a critical try for Wasps, converting it to make it 26-35, to 35, with only about five minutes left. Uh, but, you know, the, the way the comms were talking, they, they got it to 33 to 35, but there was less than two minutes, and the comms were acting like, oh, this is a, a done deal. Uh, Wasps are going to seal it. And, uh, yeah, good effort, but ran out of time. And I have to say, I'm starting to wonder. I, I, I'm almost afraid to ask. Are Gloucester <clears throat> good this year? Anyway. That leaves only the two fixtures on Saturday, with Harlequins taking on London Irish at the Twickenham Stoop. I'm afraid I didn't catch much of this one. It was good to see Joe Marler back in the Quinn's Uni so I can actually root for him for a change. And uh, his home side held a four-point lead at halftime. It was 14-10. to 10. Shortly after 50 minutes, London Irish scored an unconverted try to take a single-point lead. And then only five or six minutes later, they'd score another and this time add the extras. It was starting to look like Harlequins were going to need to uh, to reach back into that Bag of magic tricks to salvage a win today. Uh, they did get back within three, around minute 67. They mounted a furious attack from way deep in their own side to threaten the very end, but they turn it over, and at full time, Harlequins drop a tough one at home to London Irish, 19-22 to all told. And then the final game of the weekend for the Prem on Sunday, we had Saracens hosting Sale. Sale, again. They looked badly underprepared in their uh, their weird be kind, please rewind jerseys, uh, with Sarries holding them scoreless through three quarters. With zero points and a red card on the board, the Sharks goose is starting to look very nicely cooked indeed. Uh, Sale got themselves a converted try shortly thereafter, 
trailing 18 to 17 leading into the final 10 minutes, but Saracens went back up to no one's surprise. Rafi Quirk's nice little try with five minutes to go looked to be too little too late. And with AJ McGinty adding the extra two, it was 25 to 14 with only the five minutes remaining. Don't see it happening at this stage. Uh, next thing, sure enough, that ended the scoring for the day. That was the end. Uh, and good news, that was the last time I'm going to have to listen to Austin Healy, at least for a week. Whew, that's great. By the way, Saracens, they look pretty unstoppable right now. I have a feeling the rest of the Prem is starting to look around nervously. So moving on to the URC, and the first game I got to watch was, as, as I've said recently, my, my favorite team in the URC, Connacht. They were at home. <laughs> so little side note here. So after I have spent so much time on this year pod uh, rhapsodizing how how beautiful it is to watch matches being played at the sports ground in Galway, I today realized what I meant was during the day. You know, at night, there's not really any significant difference than any other place. I kind of felt deflated by my own. I, I feel like I deflated my own sales this time. No offense to sale. Uh, in any event, my Connacht boys were at home to welcome the Ospreys and really looked sharp right out of the gate, scoring their first try just after the two-minute mark. Do you remember that from earlier? So lots more scoring followed with the home side really looking strong to me. So it's a real thing at Connacht. Teams that normally choose to take the points in sort of reasonable kicking distance just don't really have that option when they're visiting because the wind is just too unpredictable. So a scrum to the home side at 35 minutes saw the score at 18-8. to eight. But with a kick for the visitors in the absolutely pissing rain, Osprey closed within seven. The conditions are shocking at this stage. Oh, my word. 12 minutes into the second half, they finally put the time and score back on the screen, which had been mysteriously missing until now. And we found ourselves at 25-18 to 18 in much improved conditions on the field. Ospreys looked determined to ruin the home team's day, but after a high tackle that became a penalty try and accompanying yellow card, it was 32-18 to 18 with only 20 minutes to go. Whoa! Then just a whale of a try for the reserve fly half, and the lead is looking insurmountable. It's 39-18 to 18 as the clock winds down. Ospreys look pretty checked out at that stage. The sleet returns as well. We see the tiny icy bits just bouncing off future man of the match, Mac Hansen. And then Connor Fitzgerald gets in for yet another try off the bench, and Connacht are completely dominant. It's like they can draw on the elemental power surrounding them. The visitors feel compelled to go from their own territory after the 80-minute mark, as they should. But there is none of the swirling winds in their sails, and uh, it is absolutely pissing on them right now. To the delight of everyone involved, Connacht kick it out for a 46-18 to 18 final score. A nice bit of momentum for Connacht. Great showing today, boys. So then on Saturday, of course, Stormers versus Zebra has been, quote, postponed, unquote, as well as the Sharks versus Scarlets, the Bulls versus Munster, and Lions versus Cardiff. I probably don't have to tell you, this is because of the new COVID variant that has been detected in South Africa and is now already spreading by the time you're hearing this. By the way, can you even believe this timing? Like, for the first time, any teams travel down there, boom, now they're crapping themselves, hoping to just get home through some loophole. Lord knows how that's going to play out. And let's, and I got to add, the fact that there's a vaccination-resistant strain just as my partner and I are on the verge of finally getting our son fully vaccinated, it just feels like, ugh, it's just one body blow after another. A quick update on that. Munster and Cardiff have subsequently both had at least one positive for COVID, with the Welsh team believing it likely to be the Omicron variant. <sighs> All four teams were 
going to have to quarantine for 10 days upon their return. Now, these two sides are going to have to stay in South Africa for two weeks. Allegedly, we'll see, uh, according to what I read most recently. If anyone out there has any good news, could you do me a favor and you know send it along? I feel like I'm forgetting what that feels like at this point. In any event, we did actually have more games, though. Benetton were at home facing the Glasgow Warriors. Somehow, Benetton scored faster than the All Blacks against the USA. They got an opening try less than 30 seconds into the game. I'm not sure I've ever seen that before. Uh, Jack Dempsey, he answers for the Warriors. With both teams missing their conversions, it's tied at five before 10 minutes have even gone by. Glasgow got another penalty in the lovely Italian sunshine, but the hosts get another try, and after missing the extras, Benetton find themselves up a pair at the 22-minute mark. Adding another penalty, the home side is up 13-8 to with 10 minutes before the break. Boston's own Rufus McLean is absolutely tearing it up out there. But Glasgow looked ponderous in a late half drive and a, a dipsy forward pass ends the first frame 13 to 15 in favor of the visitors. Glasgow with a two point lead. Neither side looked much interested in scoring in the second half. With a Glasgow penalty, the only points at the end of the third quarter of play, Benetton answered with a three of their own. At 68 minutes, they found themselves in great attacking position with a scrum at the Glasgow five, with the current score 16 to 18. Quote, Nobody wants to win this game, Rory, unquote, say the comms, and yeah, it sure feels that way. Uh, very late. Warriors have come to life. They look poised to score a game winner before knocking it on. And then Benetton, they get a last shout with just about a minute. They leave the fate of their match in the hand, well, the feet of their 19-year-old fly half, who just earlier missed one from the exact same spot, and now, boof. He wins it for Benetton, a one-point victory at home at the very end. What a moment for them. I know several people who just died tiny deaths at that moment. Not the result Glasgow were expecting today. John Anderson, if you are listening, grab yourself an extra tenants. It will take the edge off. So next up was the Dragons hosting Edinburgh. Yet another game where the first try came under five minutes. It's shocking. Uh, and Edinburgh, they get their second try just before the 20-minute mark, and the Dragons crowd, as the comms say, are shell-shocked. Things look really grim for them at the moment. However, they do fight back. They score a converted try of their own, and then another with only about seven minutes to go before the break. And then they have their first lead. It's 14-12 to 12 for the home side at last. Uh, after what looked to me to be a dubious try at best got awarded for Edinburgh, they find themselves back up three. It's 14-17 to 17 at the intermission. The only points in the second half by the 60-minute mark are three for Edinburgh, with another three added just before 10 minutes remained, then right at the death. The comms are screaming, I just said, if anyone deserved a try, it was Damian Hoyland, and there he is! <laughs> and as, as the uh, this prophetic try is scored, to well and truly put this one away, uh, a simple conversion and a bonus point win for Edinburgh, your final score, 14-13. to 13. Pretty fun game. I don't know. There's weird things about it. but um, And I do have to say, this is an incredibly strange side note, but um, a long time ago, uh, Stephen King, who, who is an author I really like, he came out with a sort of a collaborative compilation of short horror stories. One of those stories was entitled Orange is for Anguish, Blue for Insanity. And I think of that every single time I see Edinburgh's kit. Okay. And then it was time for the obvious game of the week. Leinster at home, the RDS, to face Ulster. Man, oh man, I saved this one for last for sure. I I wrote down at the time, I hope it's not just a beatdown, because often these games end up being just that, uh, any game with Leinster, frankly. So Leinster are down many more internationals than Ulster, but I see they're still able to trot out the remains of Devin Toner. Uh, I'm oddly happy to see him back out there in what is what technically counts as a haunting. 
I'm sorry, that was mean. In all seriousness, I love Devin Toner as a player. But, you know, let's face it, he's old enough to be Tom Brady's dad. Uh, the comps point out, at this point, just how unstoppable Leinster have been at home this year. They have scored 14 tries over only three home games. Holy crap. Also, <laughs> in just a little brief side moment, today I learned Leinster have a mascot. I had no idea. Or, or in the, maybe it's not a mascot. Maybe in the least it's an insane fan in a lion costume. But either way, I'm totally here for it. So right at the 15-minute mark, Ulster's Greg Jones scores a try for the first points of the day. And late in the half, Ulster coughed up another of several golden chances. Not just losing possession, but committing a penalty to boot. This happened over and over. It felt like Ulster would just gain so much momentum and then just a dumb mistake just to give it back. Uh, you, you can't do that with Leinster. Leinster were trailing 0-7 at the break, but that did not make me feel confident for Ulster. They it, Ulster seemed like they're on top in almost all areas of the game, but I've got experience with this. Leinster just look like they know how to win. There's an air of expectation about them, even when they're behind. A single score difference doesn't feel like a safe margin for any visiting side at this point. So in the second half, the war of attrition continues. Mr. Cooney gets his kicking percentage back to 50% on the night with a nice penalty. And Ulster have a two-score lead for the first time today. Leinster finally score and convert a try to draw within three at the 52-minute mark. I gotta say, I feel like Ulster got massively jobbed right there. But, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the officials know what they're doing. I, I will defer to those of greater wisdom than I. For those of you who've lost track in this quagmire, the score remains 7-10 to in favor of the visiting side, with one quarter still to be played. Leinster, they're knocking loudly at the Ulster door, and Ulster seem all too prepared to open it and let them on, come on in. But after a penalty... Lencer decide to tie it up with a kick instead of going to the corner, and, the, and they do so. So 15 minutes and all to play for. The Ulster reserve scrum half shows his grip by making a penalty to re reclaim the lead, but uh, Leinster don't look even marginally phased. They just are not bothered. Ulster have the lead, they have time on their side, and seemingly all the momentum, but they're just starting to look unsure. And you have to wonder if this is that tiny window where teams like Leinster suddenly trip you up just through confidence, if nothing else. There are six minutes remaining in the contest. And then my, my notes, like, I, I sort of mashed the keyboard so hard that there's all these extra letters in there, but it basically in all caps says, whoa, in some, some sort of form. I said, unbelievable interception by Ulster. James Hume, it, it was a risky one. If he hadn't gotten it, it would have been a, an intentional knock-on, and then who knows what happens. But he risked it, and he stole one out of the air with less than a minute to go. It was hard to see how even the mighty Leinster could reply. The match ends breathlessly in an oh-so-rare away win against the unquestioned royalty of Irish club rugby. What a performance by Ulster. The away side in my game of the week take a shocker, 10-20 to 20 at the RDS, and put a lovely little cap on the weekend's action, just to tie a nice little bow on it. Even without the intensity of the international tests that we've recently seen, it was an absolutely smashing round of rugby. So much fun. And the Babas. Well, the men's Barbarians match was canceled. With only about 90 minutes left to go before the kickoff was supposed to take place. What a shame. That makes two in a row for them, in fact. However, this did allow the organizers to focus solely on the women's match, which the Barbarians won easily, putting the wood to the South Africans. It was 60-5. to five. By the way, USA 7 star Sarah Levy, she led the way with three tries in the match. She's awesome. Uh, and that match was 
brought forward due to the cancellation of the men's game against Samoa. And therefore, I mean, I don't want to say therefore, but in addition, a world record crowd for a women's rugby match was recorded over 29,000 people with butts in the seats at Twickenham. Really great stuff. And you know by the sound of that music, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, I am for the very first time splitting the award between two different players. So in the Dragons Lost to Edinburgh, two different guys, Ben, no, 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 my name's not Dan, Carter, from the Dragons, and Dave Cherry from Edinburgh, both posted 100% tackle rates, which uh, I'm, I've probably seen before, but I've never noticed it in the in the stat lines. So defense was in many ways the watchword of the weekend, and these two exemplified it beautifully. They were aggressive, they were angry, they were tough, they were in your face. These are all terms that, you know, if I was describing a person that I was planning to go meet, I would probably strongly reconsider the meeting. But, yeah, for my rugby guys, oh yeah, that's what you want. That's exactly what you want. Ben Carter and Dave Cherry, congratulations to you both. You are the first ever co-Diamonds in the Ruck. Good on you both. And of course, finally, let's take a minute to look ahead to next week with our previews. And again, we'll start with the Prem. The Prem gets back to what I think of as its sort of usual schedule, which is one match on Friday, four on Saturday, and the last one on Sunday. I like that format. Let's stick with it, please. So on Friday, Gloucester are back at home to face Bristol. Uh, again, if, if I'm right about Gloucester, that could be another trip-up game for the Bears. Then on Saturday, Exeter will be hosting Saracens, which has to be the clash of the week in the Premiership, at least. Uh, London Irish will be hosting Newcastle. It could be good. Newcastle Falcons—they—they look really good this week, uh, this week, this year. <laughs> Northampton are back at home. They're facing Bath. Bath—they're a mess, but maybe they'll be glad to be away from their disgusting mud pit of a pitch. Who knows? Worcester will be hosting Wasps, and then to cap the weekend on Sunday, Leicester will be ho- hosting Harlequins. That should be a cracker. And then, of course, the URC. The URC has three matches scheduled for Friday and had the other five listed on Saturday with no Sunday fixtures this time around. I have to wonder, for both of these leagues, why isn't it a little more consistent? It seems weird. In any event, on Friday, Bulls versus Scarlets has already been canceled or postponed, depending on how that shakes out. But Edinburgh will host Benetton, and Leinster will be out for blood at home for Connacht. Oh, my, my Connacht boys, that could be a tough day for you guys. Uh on Saturday, Sharks versus Zebra, Lions versus Munster, and Stormers versus Cardiff are also canceled slash postponed. However, I did see just now that they are scheduling South African derbies for this coming weekend. But when you click on that headline, that's literally the sum total of what it says. So anyway, and also the, the URC's match center page has not been updated to reflect any of these fixtures. So meanwhile, we are still full speed ahead, though, for Ospreys at home to welcome Ulster and Glasgow back at home to face the Dragons. I'm going with Edinburgh at home for my upcoming pick of the week. It should be exciting anyway, but it'll really start to spell things out for the Haggis Cannoli Shield, and that, that's just going to be a significant result for the Scottish teams, at least. Very last thing, I promise. I went and searched for the South African derbies I referenced earlier just before I, I went to record this, and I actually found them this time. Uh, the matches will be Sharks hosting the Bulls on Friday night, and Stormers at home for Lions on Saturday. Both these fixtures were already on the calendar, 
but they were originally planned for February. So obviously, they're sort of wagering on things being much improved by then, which would allow the postponed matches to be held. Ooh, here is hoping. Here is hoping. Well, my friends, that does it for another week, another episode. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's always great to hear from you. I'm sorry for the mini delay. I had significant audio issues with the first iteration of this episode. I decided in the end to just completely redo it after sort of paring it down for the sake of brevity. I hope that is appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch and let me know, you can use Twitter. I'm at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram, and you can always just email the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would please me to no end. And if you like what we're doing here, there are a couple ways you can show your support listed in the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for coming along to all of you all across the globe. You're the best. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. On her back she has tattooed a map of Ireland And when she takes her bath on Saturday She rubs the sunlight soap around by Tlada Just to watch the suds flow down by Galway